suffering, first of all, we have to remember and know in our heart of hearts that suffering for the Christian is not a disease, loss, or tragedy. It is a crown. At first, it's the same twisted thorny twigs gouging the head and face of our Savior. It is the suffering of Christ that Paul talked about, that we bear. It is our burden to share and his promise of redemption. So you see the pain, the pain that we are feeling is the pain and the suffering of our dear Lord. It's the suffering of Christ, our burden to share, and his promise of redemption, our only hope in the crucible, the one hope. He will save us or he'll take us. It's a win-win. When the suffering calms, the crown softens to become one of steadfast love and mercy. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My sweet friend Meredith Bunting is back. And she was one of the original seven women who agreed to get my podcast off the ground. And at that time, she shared her journey with chronic illness that included paralyzing pain that would seize her body and leave her balled up in a fetal position for days until it decided to let her go. And she had no promise that it would get better and no one had a cure for her. You might remember in our original episode, we briefly talked about a book that she had in the works. Well, she's back today to talk about that book because it's been published and it'll be available for purchase in February 2022. But at the current moment, you can pre-order it and I'll give you the info in the show notes. The title of her book is Cutting and Pasting Truth, Snapshots of a Life Lived Through Faith and Fitness. The book is broken down into four parts, which we'll talk about, but I want to share with you my favorite part of our conversation. Here's some amazing news. A month or two ago, Meredith's pain went away, disappeared. It has not returned. She'll tell you it's been somewhat of a struggle to go from living with that level and frequency of pain to no pain at all. That in itself brought on a whole different struggle with God. Because Meredith knows extreme pain and being supernaturally healed, I had a question for her that centers around people who, without a supernatural move of God, will not receive an answer to their prayers. Their mountain will not be moved. What does God have for those who live with a quality of life that we're not comfortable with? My question comes at a time in Meredith's personal life when she's just recently, just recently laid to rest one precious friend and is watching another dear friend who is slipping into the arms of Jesus. Her answer's so, so beautiful, and it reveals the God we serve in a way that I immediately wrote about it in a blog post as well. If you've ever wondered if God has something for us when we suffer, don't miss what she has to share. I feel sure your heart will be infused with a deep measure of peace and joy. 
Meredith, you're back here to have this conversation with us in reference to the book that you have published. Give us the title, give us an overview and tell us where the listeners can find it because they've been waiting since the last time you and I talked. I'm very excited about the fact that the book really is very real. And I do believe it's going to touch so many people who have struggled with different kinds of pain in their life. The name of it is Cutting and Pasting Truth. The reason being is because I have learned from my own life, early on when my identity was in question, even as I was growing up, as I was trying to be a mom, as I was married to a fighter pilot, and then I had a wonderful job as a fitness director. And then through all that, all kinds of lies were built up because I didn't really know or grasp who I was. When I got rheumatoid arthritis, During the days that I was the manager of the fitness center, I was truly broken and questioned my faith. So the book is about all of those wacky times from when I was young, all through the being broken. And then it talks a lot about how God's truths through his word have ministered to my life and shaped my identity as a child of God. He's taken that brokenness and given me a beautiful purpose. Where can our listeners find your book? They can pre-order it now on Amazon or wait until February 2022 when it'll be coming out in all the stores. The Amazon books will probably come out ahead of time. And was it cut and paste truth? It's cutting and pasting truth. Cutting and pasting truth. Snapshots of a life lived through faith and fitness. There's a specific focus on four things, crisis, chaos, surrender, and celebration. The last time we spoke, you shared these holy moments that you found with God in debilitating back spasms that left you balled up in (laughs) the fetal position for days until they let your body go. You even shared that, you know, Satan would whisper in your ear to end everything, to bail out on this kind of pain that you weren't cut out for it. You're in this place now where you're being questioned Uh, do I trust this celebration phase? So let's back up a little bit. Talk to me about crisis because a crisis could really hit anything on anybody, pain, trauma, suffering. That's so very, very true. When I think about my episodes of pain, I really did try to just search for the essence of it, the mystery of God in it. Why would anybody have pain like this if everything comes through God's hand of love? In fact, that is in the book. It's under a whole section called The Essence of Pain. But then I started to reflect on, well, I know what happens during pain. I know that when we have pain, and I really want to emphasize the fact that I'm not talking just about chronic pain. Everybody suffers. It's universal and some so much more than others. And it can be from terrible grief, awful sickness, Losing your job, losing a child. I just don't want to gloss over those terrible times. And they are crises. I know for myself, when I have been through those crises, I try to do everything I can to manage, but I cannot. And I've learned that the only and the best thing to do, and I know this is what blesses God the most and what he's waiting for, is just to completely surrender. And it's okay not to be able to to pray. And it's okay to cry. You, it's okay to face the facts that you're in a crisis. Just let go. God is there. Just surrender. So that's the crisis. And, and I, I do believe that people can stop and think about the crisis in their lives. 
But what comes after crises is a chaos. It's a chaotic time of, of fear, anger, bitterness, confusion, loss of control everywhere. It really depends on what kind of suffering we're going through that determines just how that chaotic time is going. That's a time when we have to refocus, we have to relearn, regroup, we have to let things settle down so that we can decide how we're going to trust God. What is God teaching us through this? How is he going to lead us through this, this time? I want to give you two examples. One, the example of the incident that's recorded in Mark, Matthew, and John after the 5,000 people were being fed on the mountain. So the disciples were there with Jesus. Everything was going fine until there was a lot of grumbling. Obviously, the people were really hungry. And that was the crisis because the disciples went to Jesus and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But Jesus, he, he gave them food. He took over in the crises. So then after that, and everybody went home and the disciples took what was left in the baskets. They went out. Um, they went out to get in the boat. Where did Jesus go? Jesus went to the mountain to be with his father. You can imagine how tired he was and what a good place to go. So he was with his father and he was praying. I believe Mark tells us that that's where he went to pray. They were in the boat and all chaos broke out with this huge storm. They were scared. They were frightened. They didn't know what was going to happen. But Jesus showed up. But Jesus. And then they could regroup and they could calm down. And the boat was taken to their destination. This is what I thought about here. And I wanted to share is that these, these men were in the boat that is now calmed down. The chaos has settled down into peace because Jesus was there. Now, do you, would you want to stay in the boat with Jesus or get out and go start your normal life again? Our choice is only to get out of the boat and go out into the world because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Bring the good news of everything that he's done for us through our crises and our chaos. What did we learn from that time? And what can we bring out to a hurting world? And I think of this as getting out of the boat and going into the world with the crown that we read about in Psalm 103. Forget not his benefits. He, he forgives all of your iniquity. He heals all of your diseases. He lifts you from the, the pit and crowns you with a crown of steadfast love and mercy. And that's the crown we wear after we've been in the pit. And we go out into the world. That's the answer that it came to me. What we have to do is just be with Jesus. Jesus is the model. He gave us exactly the role to do. Let's drill down a little bit into that, though, because I think we have a hard time asking for help. And then I think there's the other flip side to that is we're asking for help and we do not feel that God hears us anymore. I don't know about anybody else, but I focus on what can I see changing right now in this moment. And if I don't see something or feel something changing in this moment, I lose my focus. How do we make sense of that? Either we don't ask because we're too, I don't know, prideful, or we ask and ask. We feel like our prayers are bouncing off of a ceiling. That is so true. And, and it's so normal. And he knows it. He knows about that struggle. Until we can give it up, until we can surrender, 
so that we're like open vessels for him to pour his, his living water into us and don't stop praying and read the Psalms. So many of the Psalms are um, about this terrible suffering, especially read Psalm 88. There are so many accounts of ongoing suffering, but always the psalmist is reaching out to God. God always answers, we just don't know when. After you've gone through that, you can look back on your story and you can see that he helped you grow in a new way. He helped you trust in a, in a stronger way. And he gave you a story that you can share. This is how I struggled with God. This is how God answered those prayers. And this is what I learned. Meredith, what I hear you saying, and it was my experience too, after you come out of your traumatic experience, you have a powerful testimony because you know things about God you would not have known in any other context. But one of the beautiful things about your testimony on our original podcast episode was that you had praise for your Savior in the midst of your pain and suffering. You had no guarantee or promises that your physical condition would change or that it would get better. And it makes me think about a friend whose son sustained a TBI, traumatic brain injury. And that's a praying mama. And while she gets little improvements, I would imagine that because she has the knowledge of who he used to be, I feel like her heart might struggle. And really, this is just me talking. This is not something she said to me. But I think about what it must be like to persevere in these conditions. Her heart struggles with doing a comparison and deeply wanting life for him to be like it used to be. Do you have any encouragement for those who, aside from God moving his hand for a new supernatural experience, do not have the promises or guarantees for their situation to change? How can we lift a head or a heart today of someone who will not have the opportunity to get some distance on their reality of pain? Well, Sherry, this is a really hard question to answer, but the period of not suffering anymore really confused me. I wondered, what had I learned? And then when you posed this question, which the, the suffering of a, a mom, just watching her 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 own son changed so tragically to made me think even deeper. And then even closer now, my dear friend, Barb has just passed away after suffering so with cancer and now she's in heaven. And I think what I'm being honest, I question God, what, what is the purpose? And this is what has helped me so much. In fact, I wrote, this to the husband of another friend who is on her way to heaven. I really think that it, it, it applies to the question. It helps me anyway. Suffering, first of all, we have to remember and know in our heart of hearts that suffering for the Christian is not a disease, loss, or tragedy. It is a crown. At first, it's the same twisted thorny twigs gouging the head and face of our Savior. It is the suffering of Christ that Paul talked about, that we bear. It is our burden to share and his promise of redemption. So you see the pain, the pain that we're feeling is the pain and the suffering of our dear Lord. It's the suffering of Christ, our burden to share, and his promise of redemption, our only hope in the crucible, the one hope. He will save us or he'll take us. 
It's a win-win. When the suffering calms, the crown softens to become one of steadfast love and mercy. This is the, one, the crown that really spoke to me because as I came out of the pain, praising Jesus, of course I wanted to say, what now? Back to normal? Where do you want me? And he told me in Psalm 103 that he put his crown of love and mercy on my head to walk out of my sick bed and go to the world with compassion and love. This is the crown he gives that we carry into the world, having been convinced of our Lord's faithfulness. And we bring what we have felt and experienced in our pain to the world where we are now precious missionaries. Only the suffering servant knows intimately the suffering servant. When the crown of thorns is worn by the believer, however, who God is calling home, it becomes a radiant and treasured bejeweled headpiece to be worn by the saint who goes to sit with Jesus on his throne with his father. This is the crown that we read about. There are five crowns that we read about in the Bible, and the crown is an imperishable one. It is rejoicing, it's righteousness, it is glory, and it is the crown of life. This is the crown that is being made for each one of us who believes and loves God. It is being created by and through our own suffering. As we bear the suffering of Christ, wearing his crown, it will one day be replaced with the beautiful crown of life. So for the dying believer, this is the hope and promise for all to see, for all to see as the believer takes her last breath. So Sherry, for your friend, I hope she will rest and trust in God. He is love and he will bring something beautiful from her broken son. And she will wear her crown to make a difference in the lives of others who are suffering. For my friend, well, so I can only say, I can only imagine the beautiful, beautiful crown she's wearing now. And though I want to hug her myself, I know she's happiest wearing that beautiful crown being hugged by Jesus. So you see, wearing our crown of suffering to give to the world or wearing our crown to sit with Jesus. It's a win-win. The suffering, the suffering has a purpose. I pray this will be helpful to others who suffer. To see suffering as a crown, to know that when we share in the sufferings of Christ, to experience the gift of God's presence in the pain, and to have his acknowledgement of our suffering— to receive his reward either on this side of glory as we become his missionary in the world to testify to what we know about him because of our pain or to go home to be with him in his continual presence, to rest in him, no more struggle, no more pain. That's so God to not waste anything about this life. In his hands, everything is redeemed. Is that not the most beautiful Hopeful. Hopeful. Thing ever. That's huge to me. To think, just imagine wearing that Jesus would honor us to let us wear his own crown of thorns. 
how we will bear it. I mean, it helps us bear our pain. It's always about him, but he turns and makes it all about us in everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss, your sweet friend. Mm-hmm. There's another who's being prepared to go. And I wrote to her husband the same thing about, I just want him to imagine the crown being prepared for her so that his, these days are not of sorrow, but of, of anticipation of how beautiful she will be wearing that crown. So that now as she's slipping away, Again, rather than being sorrowful, celebrate the beauty that Christ has for her. Celebrate now. You reverberate that message about taking the eyes off of ourself and putting them on God. And even now I hear you taking your eyes off of yourself, your pain, your suffering at the loss of your precious friend and putting them on what God has for her. That's sacrificial love. That's deep love. It, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I would not be able to see what I saw or understand what I saw or bear these times. Even the question about your precious friend. Uh, suffering is, there's a place in suffering that it's a blank. But to think that it is not a blank, it's an honor. That's a mind shift. It is. It is a mind shift. It's a spirit shift. It is the treasure given to the sufferer. A treasure, mm-hmm. a crown. And only the sufferer receives it. Because of that mind shift, the heart shift, a faith shift, allow me to share this quote that I absolutely love. And I've read this quote a couple of times before, and I think I've read it even several times just this month in the episodes that I have released, but I want to share it again because it's so good. It has been my core challenge when trying to wrestle well with the good God I profess in the reality of pain and suffering. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. This is a quote from Craig Barnes. It says, the deep fear behind every loss is that we have been abandoned by the God Mm -hmm. who who should have saved us. The transforming moment in Christian conversion comes when we realize that even God has left us. We then discover it was not God, but our image of God that abandoned us. Only then is change possible. And I think it's having courage to take what we have expected, what we think or who we think God is, and then listening to find out and to discover who he really is. It's such a good example, Sherry, giving up our image of God, and that's what I believe He wants. Also, on the topic of, of of abandonment, only one person was abandoned by God, only one, and that was His Son. And the whole reason why He was abandoned by God was that ultimately He's He's resurrected with God, and it was ultimately so that we would never be abandoned by God. That's our promise. We will never have that agony, even for that mom there feeling so bereft and so alone. When I was pouring out pain, I felt his presence. The example you gave was in those dark moments where Satan is just whispering up in your ear. You didn't even have the strength to pray. But when the pain passes, you see where God was praying for you. He was covering you in times like that. And it sounds like for us who are going through deep (laughs) suffering would be just to press in all the more into Jesus, into God, into Holy Spirit. How did you receive that sort of comfort, encouragement? 
it was a process through the years, through the episodes. When I realized that I'm in the aftermath, my first thoughts were praise. Thanking Jesus was coming from my very soul. That was supernatural. That was supernatural praise. So when you're suffering and you can praise God, you know that you are filled with the Spirit. It's a gift to be able to praise like that. That's proof of that filling, too, of Holy Spirit. If you ask me, that's that indwelling, and that's what rises up to the top. That's what comes out in us in those moments. I'm not saying we are God, but when we're hanging on our personal cross and dying to self and dying to trying to overcome pain, suffering, evil, trauma, and we're not successful, that's kind of sort of what you were saying about when chaos sets in. It's a lack of control. And I think that's very difficult to lose control of what your normal life looked like. So chaos comes in when you're trying to figure it out, get on top of it. That in itself can add a bunch of complication already on top of what you're going through. Why do we struggle so hard not to ask for help or not to turn to God? Why do we want it gone, done, get out? Because because we're humans, (laughs) we're we're in a fallen world. I give you, I I don't know if I gave you the example of this before. For me, this is a a wonderful vision of being in that boat, that that rowboat out in the stormy seas. And like you're saying, we're rowing with all of our life. We're trying to control it. We're trying to pray harder. We're trying to be brave and strong and what in the world is going on in our hands are gripping the oars when suddenly you get a sense of your fingers being taken away one by one the fear the anger the bitterness even the questions you don't know where they're going but you give those up jesus has got the oars now and you're riding along the waters and letting him take you there. But what you're talking about is so normal, Sherry, especially for somebody like you who wants to figure everything out. You're used to being in, in, in control of things. And those are the very things that God wants you to give up because he's got something so much better for you, a new way, a better way. How do we deal with anger? Anger, whether it's at God, anger at our situation, we feel betrayed by God. I think part of the getting to the point of surrender is a genuine struggle with God. It's a genuine struggle with faith. Where's my faith? I have, I have believed in God since I was a child. I've been going to church. I'm a believer. I've confessed my sins. What has happened to my faith? If my faith isn't good enough now, what do I do to make my faith better? What that is doing is making an idol out of your faith is trying to make God into the kind of God you want to worship and you want to follow. He's just not that kind of God. He's far bigger and better and way more sovereign than that. You talk about anger. I think that it's really another miracle of the soul when you finally get to the point where you, you can adore him in your pain. You can love him. There is a love that comes up from your soul for your heavenly father, even though you don't know what's going on. And that's a gift of pain. That's a holy adoration. That pain is also an invitation to be in his courts, to be with him. Because when you're in so much sorrow, 
and you're isolated, you're alone, there's no other place to go other than to, to God and he's waiting. It's an invitation to be with your father and then he'll build you up again. In that struggle of faith, like what Craig Barnes is saying, that we're coming into that realization, we're discovering that it was not God who abandoned us, but we're coming into an understanding that this image we had of who he should be, what he should do, is our perception of a God or the God who we thought. Like for me, when I first became a Christian, I did not think pain or suffering should be part of a Christian's life. I was much younger, clearly. As you get older and you realize, wait, my Christian faith has not buffered me from the reality of pain and suffering. But then in comes God with a remedy to that. So in this crisis that comes upon us, that we are thrown into chaos and we're trying to reason with it, what are some of the things that can stop us from getting to surrender, this dying to self? What are some of the things that we can get stuck on? First of all, we can get stuck on what's right in front of us. You know, you just get stuck with that. Okay, you know, how am I going to go on? He's gone. How am I going to take care of my family when I can't get out of bed? Um, how am I going to provide for my family when I don't have a job? So what's right in front of you is what we're, what we're wrestling with. And then the lies of pain just start coming in and start telling you that you're not going to survive, that you will be sad forever. You're going to be a victim of, of this pain. You're never going to have another job and your family's going to hate you. And you see, all those things come up, but those are lies and you have to see them as they are. When you go through a crisis and the chaos starts to trip you up, this is the time when you can make choices. Am I going to be afraid? Am I going to give in to fear? Am I going to be mean to people because I'm hurting so much? Am I going to be mad at people, at everyone, because nobody's here helping me? You make those choices. They're moral choices and conscious choices. But God wants you to make those choices so that you can see these truths. The, every time you make a choice that glorifies him, that it just blesses him because he knows now he can use you even more for the purpose that he's created you for. I love this. I'm reading this to you from Wounded Healer. Henry Nguyen writes this. Perhaps the painful awareness of loneliness is an invitation to transcend our limitations and look beyond the boundaries of our existence. So see, being able to look beyond our boundaries is now taking us higher. And looking with God's eyes, or at least letting God's eyes do, do the looking. If I understand you correctly, when Satan comes at us with these lies, because he will attach himself to traumas, so he comes at us with these lies and trying to destroy you. You're already in pain and suffering, and now he wants to just crush you completely. But we can take the word. We can take God's truth and come against yeah. those as the weapon that they are. They're the, the, the word is the sword. So we take that sword out and we decimate these lies that are coming at us. Thank you for bringing up the truth of the word. And this is where I think it's so important that even with the broken, broken spirit and broken heart, Go to the Word and read those Psalms. They are all prayers to the sovereign God. And even if you don't feel like reading them, let them pour into you and nurture you and see that you are not alone, that there have already been words and songs 
written about your pain and about your need. And God always delivers. Ultimately, he came back to deliver us. So we always have that greater hope. But we should pour into the word and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through these words. And let the truth mend you. Let the truth mend you. It is medicine. It really is. I can't explain it, but it is Mm. medicine. It really is. Especially if you meditate on it. Or soak in in this word and just have it everywhere. Like right now I'm looking at, I love this. Look, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This is the one I love. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. That's from Psalm 51, 7 and 8. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I'm growing a hyssop plant because it's a plant of renewal and refreshment. You just are being washed in that, that purity. Then all of those lies just get scrubbed away. And, and what's left is that you're whiter than snow. Now you're that holy person God sees you as. And you will rejoice. And all those broken bones will rejoice and sing again. Isn't that it's miraculous? A, I know. That is so miraculous. I'm, you can look at somebody like me. I mean, I'm an old woman and I'm broken. And I have had some pretty mean, mean things. I could be really bitter. My mom was a a bitter, fearful person. I can see how it could be in my genes. But God, he's so good. He gives me gifts in that pain. He has given me gifts in that pain. And I know that he will give gifts in the sufferer who puts her or his hand in the hope of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for that hope to be a reality. There seems to be a literal supernatural experience that happens to us when we give ourselves to the process and trust God, not just give ourselves to the process for the sake of, I don't have it in me anymore to fight this, but to trust God in the midst of it, for him to show up, for him to be present, for him to show himself in certain ways. He gives us such beauty in the midst of very dark times. He is the light in the dark. But why do you think he does that? I just, for me personally, I feel like it is a unique way. It's one of the ways that the evil of this life gets taken down, if you will, in the sense that he shows up to give us a different way, a different option, a different direction instead of sitting in it. He gives us the freedom to walk out of it, or at least even while in it, we have a different value system. That's right. And in it, he enables us to see him take over the storm. Mm. It enables us. And that's a holy gift. So when you're in pain and suffering, just think you are not alone. You're with God and you are going to be able to watch him do miraculous work and change you into something that you never, ever thought you could be. You'll be able to praise him and adore him and and read his word and soak in his word. You'll experience the very truth that God is with you now. It's not when you feel better. 
It's not when you're stronger. It's not when the pain is away. So you don't have to look to the future and you don't have to regret the past. God is with you now. He's in that boat with you now. So just give him the oars. And to add to that a little bit, even in our submission and what he's revealing to us in that process, there are new things to learn. Yes, we are experiencing mm-hmm. him, but there's not just letting him take over and you just lay low and he just quiets the storm. Although that's really all he asks of us is just to be with him rather than do anything. But there's a revelation that indeed will take you to another level of understanding his heart and who he is. Well, I'm glad you're saying that because that is exactly what my book is about. All the things that have happened in the book are in my life. There are crises of all kinds and I would come to a place of crises and not understanding. And in every case, I learned something else, something more beautiful about God. He's in every situation that we hand over to him. Our God is purposeful. Nothing is wasted when we give it to him. And so even in this less than brokenness, trauma, pain, suffering, he still uses it with a purpose. This is from Oswald Chambers. God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now. So there's your answer for all of the stripping away and all of the no answers. He's enabling you to see how he can do it. And he's with you doing it now. And isn't that a man in love with his bride? For him to attend to us in that manner, to come to us in the storm, to provide for mm-hmm. us, to protect us, to put us under his wings and to calm the storm and then to draw us into him to learn something new and beautiful about him, about the lover of our soul. That's beautiful. And then when we see him doing that, don't we just love him so much more. We just cannot believe that he loves us that much. Well, where does that take us to next? All right, so uh, it takes us to the celebration. This is where I am now, and it has been my dilemma. I'm happy to say that it's been probably a month, and I've had, I have not had an episode of pain. Praise God. I, I know, and it's so wonderful. But at first, I was a little nervous and skittish about it, and I did want to be alone because it, it was just like all of a sudden, all the noise around me just became silent, and I realized that there was no more pain and could I trust it? I just wanted to be able to mark my time well and do the right thing. And I also felt a little bit funny around the people who had been praying so hard for me. And now here I am all better again. Should I look sad? Should I look sick? I decided this was a time of celebration and I wanted to see God on this one. You see how long, I mean, look, I've had these these episodes for over 20 years, and I'm still learning from them. Are you able to pinpoint what that struggle was all about? You've been knocking on the door, if you will, praying, you got people praying for you. The door is open, the healing has come, and you can't believe it. But can you pinpoint what that struggle was? Did you feel guilty? Did you feel that you owed people something different because they had been so faithful for you? I can, because I, I journaled it. I thought, what am I supposed to do now? 
I really do want to get involved with my church and I want to serve, but I'm not reliable. I started to think of all the things where I have failed. And Satan came in and said, you're not worthy. You're not worthwhile. And I became quiet. I did not reach out and say, I can join this or I can do that. I prayed and I wrote this down. I said, God, you tell me what you want to do with this time in my life, in this celebration. And that's why this message to me is so important. It's because he gave it to me. In the time of not suffering, first of all, don't feel apologetic. Do rejoice and praise him. Now read the praise psalms. And also go read over all the people that Jesus healed and, and what they did in their celebration. Like the Samaritan woman went to town to tell them about the man that she met. I can really identify with the man with a withered hand. So to start life with two hands, people went away healed by Jesus to do what Jesus intended them to do. So Jesus intended for me and for you and for those coming out of their suffering to bring what they've learned in their suffering and share it with compassion and love. You'll meet other people, you, other widows. I have a lot of compassion for broken athletes because there are so many people a little bit younger than me and my age, and they've been athletes all this time. And now they're getting back pain, knee pain. And, and it's the first time they've ever had pain. It is a crisis. But God, they will go through the the chaos, and they'll find out like I have, that running and doing aerobics and staying fit is not the most important thing in the world. I don't know what I did when all that time I was, when I was exercising and showering and exercising and showering. I have so much time now. I love it. So now I have to push myself to go out and do what I know is good for me. Jesus has so many other things that he's showing me and they're beautiful things. So that is a form of celebration. It is wonderful. Let him show you and let him celebrate with you. Then I, I, I do want to address the fact that I know that the celebration may just lead to going home with him. The celebration may not lead to the suffering on earth being, being over. It may mean the suffering takes you to heaven to be with him. And that is the greatest celebration of all. That's where Jesus showed us. He modeled it for us on the cross. And he went to heaven and then he, he died and he rose again in celebration of us who are also going to be able to be risen again with him. The greatest celebration of all. So it's a win-win situation. You either celebrate with him here on earth and he'll show, show us how he wants to use us, this new person that we become, or he'll take us home to glorify his father with him. I have a friend whose father passed away this last year, and it wasn't because of COVID. And when he passed away, he died of dehydration. So he's in a hospital where he did not get the care that he needed and he passed away. And he was such a godly man, such a sweet man. And my friend, of course, is grieving it. It's so senseless. And so I asked her at one point, I said, 
he's he was such a favorite of the Lord's. I know the Lord doesn't mm. have favorites, but I say that a lot of times for those who are especially tender to the Lord and just such good examples of who God is. And I asked her, but what if in that suffering, he earned some sort of crown? I mean, we know he's not alone because she, her heartbreak is that he was alone and she wasn't able to go to him because of COVID. So he, she felt like he died alone and that he it was all suffering. But I wonder about suffering and crowns that, that God gives us. Doesn't God give us as individual crowns or am I remembering something wrong here? Is it the 24 elders? Do we get crowns um, as believers? Yes, we know. And I, I can't quote them, but we know that um, Paul and James and Timothy, Peter, I believe they all wrote about the crowns that we receive, the crown, our crown of righteousness. As we persevere, as we look to God, as we suffer, as we go through our affliction, as we remain faithful to God and trust him, then we receive the crown of righteousness. And I believe that we, can, we will wear that crown to heaven. And I believe that we will be at the throne of the almighty father himself and gladly give him that crown that he put on our head first. So we pitch our crowns at the feet of the one who is truly worthy of the crown. Yeah. He found us worthy enough to give, give us a crown. I know. I was just going to say, how beautiful is it that he gives us crowns and then we turn out of our worship and give him the crown back uh, because truly that's where it belongs. Speaking of worship and celebration, how does worship fit into celebration? I've written about that in the book too. <laughs> I call it the wow factor, actually. When things that are just completely unexplainable, that we cannot even verbalize something that God does, it wells up within us a holy worship. The best word is wow. In the celebration after suffering, every day is a wow. Every day is a, is a praise. Every moment knowing that God is with me in this is celebrating. He wasn't just with me in the pain and the suffering. He's with me in the celebrating. He's put a crown on me. He's pleased with me. What more would I want to do other than worship him? I want to live a life of worship. But I would like to be able to do that in the suffering as well. But he, he sees me doing that. I don't think I'm doing it. But he sees me doing that because I'm clinging to him. And he knows my heart. He knows the heart of the sufferer. And he weeps with the sufferer. His, the tears that they cry are his tears. I know what I think about God being close to the sufferer. But tell me, express for me your personal thoughts and revelations about God's knowledge of what it is to be a sufferer. Well, Jesus is the best example of all. Who would have ever thought that God, I mean, God watches people all that time suffer sin, suffer sin, suffer sin until it got so bad that he sent his son to suffer guiltlessly, innocently. Jesus was a suffering servant. His family, his family rejected him. Many of his disciples left him. He came from heaven where he was the king and he was born in a manger. 
and he was a the child of a carpenter. He went through such humility. This is why he understands everything that we are going through, everything that we feel. And then, of course, when he went through all the horrible trials where the crown of thorns was stripped and whipped, carried the cross till he couldn't carry it anymore, was nailed to it and was between two thieves, one of which mocked him like everybody else did. We have a God who knows our pain. A God who came to this earth to show us he knows our pain. And he cries for us because he felt it himself. Even his weakness speaks to us because he, he, when he was weak on that cross, we know that he understands our weakness. It's a holy thing to be weak like the Lord. When we ask God why, I remember Jesus asking God. He felt like God had left him when he was taking on all of that sin. Of course, God had to turn away and there was a separation yeah. from him. But to feel that and to know that, it strengthens my heart because I do feel like we haven't been given a God or a Jesus who doesn't understand what we are going through, what our challenges are, what our struggles are, why we ask why type right. things. And we can believe it because the people who wrote it, the first disciples, were there. They saw him go through it. They saw how he lived his life for 30 years and how he taught them and how faithful he was. And they saw him suffer and they saw him coming back. And we have those true records. So we know that the God that we believe in is very real. And everything that he did and everything he's, that he says is true. And that truth right there is what gets you through, keeps you from being bitter and grows your faith to look at something bigger than yourself, someone, and not just someone, but the one who has reign and dominion over all of these things. We can rest our heart on that. Is there anything I have not asked you about with regard to your book that you must share before we end our conversation? I want people to know that this is a hands-on book. It's not a novel. It, they can read it as a devotion, but it's real life stories. I'd also like to read to you a poem about pain. I wrote it a while back when I was in the throes of pain, and it, I learned through it. It's called Pain Uninvited. Pain arrives uninvited, unpredictable, like a clandestine lover. Wary, I mark my time carefully. In familiar dreaded spasms, Pain hisses, persistent, ruthless. I tremble behind unprotected boundaries. In the fire of pain's grip, I am no longer invincible. Every movement is a gift, each breath ordained. Pain's jealousy takes vigilance over my soul, allowing no other to share my solitude or embrace my misery. Pain scoffs at my desires, snatches my dreams, smashes hopes, and smothers yesterday's treasures. Yet, without pain's cunning cost, I would be cold, distracted, lured by dangers of another sort. Lying in silent shadows, my chastened spirit sighs. Unleashed, pain sears my heart, abuses my soul. Held as pain's captive, 
I am isolated from the living and listen desperately for my redeemer. Hope reigns white light. Grace subdues the pain now smoldering. I am unshackled, loved by another whispering to me. You will not be overcome. He has set me free. What power that is being set free in the pain. In the pain. Right. Right. So it really does describe what it feels like to be in the hold of pain and all the lies he tries to whisper and how he just tries to, to keep you down, shackled. But you just listen for your Redeemer. You will not be overcome. Satan does his best to put a wedge between us and God every opportunity he gets. But if we're listening for that shepherd's voice, because we know the voice, changes all the rules, changes all the all of Satan's game rules anyway, and gives us a that's completely right. different option. Mm-hmm. So that's good. That's better than good. That's miraculous. Well, I certainly have really, really enjoyed and appreciated and humbled by all the people you talk to for all the things that they've walked through in this life. And yet they still wait for their redeemer and hold on to him. So in spite of, in spite of the things that they've been through and had to give up and their broken hearts, they have been set free and they, they are celebrating with Jesus. When you think about where you're at today in this phase of celebration, what is something beautiful that God has said to you? He actually says that he has set me free. So be free, feel free and, and feel free and unleashed and unfettered about going out and showing people his love, showing, showing people his joy. Strangers don't know that I was hurting. Cashiers don't know. Truck drivers don't know. People don't know what I was like a month ago. All they know is that they see a very happy, joyful, worshiping woman. So he has set me free to be that person. May we all step into that freedom. And I pray Mm -hmm. that when suffering comes, I will see it for an opportunity for God to reveal to me more of his intimacy, more of his beauty, and that I will take my eyes off of myself and put them on him, the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my mind, and put them on him. Because I believe in dying to self or getting our eyes off of ourself, putting them on the Redeemer, that gives us freedom even in the grip of pain and suffering. And we have two important tools, prayer and the word. Even when you don't feel like it, they're powerful. And that's when the Holy Spirit will just fill you up with that power that you talked about, that feeling, the love, the praise, the adoration, all the things that just usher us into his courts with our crowns that he gave us. So the prayer, the word, and I'd love to add worship to that too. So powerful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Meredith, you've got a beautiful tool for people to put into their hands and to find a new way to move through crisis, chaos, surrender, and celebration. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for my listeners. I'm excited for you. And thank you so much for stopping by to share your personal story with us. 
You are so welcome. It's always a pleasure to be with you, sweet woman. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.